Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. All hit radio. Welcome to the X Zone. A place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Good evening, one and all, and welcome to the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. Now, if you'd like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And for all the programming that we have available for you, 724-365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net and the Exxon TV channel. That is accessible to more than 74 million people around the world is uh, exclusive to SimulTV at www.simultv.com. Explanation, my guest this hour is Thomas J. Carey. He is a native Philadelphian, holds degrees from Temple University and uh, California State in Sacramento. And he also attended the University of Toronto uh, and their PhD program in anthropology. An Air Force veteran who held a top-secret uh, crypto clearance. Tom is now a retired Philadelphia-area businessman. He has been a mutual UFO network uh, state section director for southeastern Pennsylvania from 1986 until 2001, a special investigator for the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies from 1991 to 2001, and a member of the QFO's board of directors from 1997 to 2001. Now, Tom began, began investigating aspects of the Roswell incidents in 1991 for the Roswell investigative team of Kevin Randall and Don Schmidt. And as you know, Kevin Randall has a show on the Exxon Broadcast Network. And uh, it's always great having uh, you know people from Kevin's show over on this show. And um, Do, uh, Tom, I've had the pleasure of, of producing uh, the shows that you've done with uh, Kevin. And I must tell you, um, the work that you do is very interesting. Yes, uh, the uh, I, I did. Hello. Yes, I'm here, Tom. Yeah, I have a little echo. Um, the uh, idea I th- since you and I talked last, which uh, has been a couple of years, mm-hmm. Rob. Uh, yeah. Actually, uh, I've done Kevin's show twice, and uh, of course, uh, you know, we talked uh, about Roswell. Uh, the one, the one show we talked about that. The so-called Roswell slide uh, fiasco that we had down in Mexico oh, City yeah. mm-hmm. uh, about five six years ago, and the second the second show we did uh, like a reminisce because uh, uh, you know we go back thirty years uh, with uh, Kevin and Don. That's quite and, some time, man. Yes. So um, uh, you know, but. It, you know, when you first start, I, I remember, in fact, I was talking to Don today, and we were sort of reminiscing, and, uh, you know, it's been so long, everybody's dead, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I remember saying, boy, my first trip to Roswell was in 1993, and I, you know, I was down there, and, and uh, 
I said, okay, well, I've been down here. I guess that's it. We'll wrap it up now. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Here it is, you know, 30 years later, we're still on the case. Although uh, you have to understand, and I'm sure you do, that uh, most everybody is gone now. Uh, Even some of the children of the participants from 1947, they're passing away. And uh, Don and I are getting up there. So uh, it's it, it's really uh, sobering because every time we go down to Roswell, which is at least once a year, every July they have the festival, mm-hmm. except last year because of the, the COVID, we didn't have one. But every time we go down there, uh, you know, we say we find that someone else has passed away. And it's almost like family, Rob, when you when you know these people and. Mm-hmm. For so long, it's it's almost like a member of your family has uh, passed away. Don, so, tell me why why is the myth of Roswell or the incident at Roswell, the crash at Roswell, still so prevalent when it comes to ufology? You'd think that since 1947, it would have been solved one way or another, and yet here we are, the year 2021, and the and the investigation continues. Well. Uh, Rob, that, that's a good question, and the simple answer is that uh, we believe we have solved the case, mm-hmm. but the only thing that we're missing is a physical, an incontrovertible pe- physical piece of evidence, like a steering wheel or a, or a, you know, the dashboard from the ship. Uh, that's the fallback position of people who uh, doubt what what took place well show me a piece of physical evidence right well we don't have it but we do have over 600 witnesses uh, that know pieces of the story that we have assembled uh, we've interviewed and assembled into a uh, like you're putting a puzzle together mm-hmm. and we believe that we have at least uh, solved the what happened uh, the evidence is the testimony, because testimony is evidence, as you know, in a court of law. Yep. If it's credible testimony, it, it it serves as evidence. And sometimes if it's, you know, uh, extremely uh, well uh, articulated, it mm-hmm. serves as a proof. So, well, let me, let me ask you this. Based on the investigation that you've done over the past 30 years, what do you believe, based on the the testimony, the the witnesses that you've uh, that you've interviewed, what happened that day in 1947 in Roswell, New Mexico? Well, late in the evening of July the second, it took us a couple of years to figure out what date it was. <laughs> late in the evening of July the second, there was a uh, severe thunder and lightning storm. Mm-hmm over central New Mexico. It's, it's their, what they call their monsoon season. Uh, the July of uh, every year is their monsoon season. And we have it from several witnesses that between the thunderclaps, they heard a muffled explosion of some sort that wasn't a thunderclap. And they wondered, hey, what is that? And uh, the next day, a rancher by the name of Mac Brazel, who was the foreman of a sheep ranch, Near the uh, near Corona, the town of Corona, he's out checking fence, and uh, lo and behold, he comes across a big field of strange debris. Looked like uh, you know, silvery, like aluminum, very light. Something that uh, he had never seen before. And uh, what had happened was a ship, we believe. Had uh, if, if it was an internal explosion, we don't know what sort of an explosion it was, but it exploded in the air, struck either struck by lightning or exploded some way that it rained down these small pieces of debris over Mac Brazel's sheep pasture. Mm-hmm. And he found it the morning of July the 3rd. And uh, so, and he had another... A person with him, a, a young nine-year-old boy named uh, Timothy D. Proctor, was with him, and uh, so it was. Everything was in just small pieces. There, no bodies, no bodies, just small pieces. And he's wondering, you know, w- what is this? And so he. Uh, this is July the third. So three day, two days later. Mm-hmm. He goes into town on July the 6th. That would be Sunday. So I guess it's three days later. He 
He wants to know who's going to clean up that stuff because he's, his sheep won't cross the pasture to get to water. So he's who's, go, who's going to clean up that stuff? And uh, he goes into Roswell, goes into the sheriff's office. While he's talking to the sheriff, a fellow by the name of Frank Joyce, who's spinning records on the local radio station, uh, calls the sheriff's office for, hey, uh, George, and the sheriff's name was George Wilcox. Hey, George, you got anything I can put on the put on the radio? Anything interesting? He says, well, yeah, I've got a guy here named Brazel. He says he's uh, he found some strange material material out there. He thinks it's a flying a crash flying saucer. And uh, so he interviews uh, Brazel, and uh, neither one of them, Wilcox or uh, Joyce, Frank Joyce, believe Ra- uh, Brazel at that point. Let, let me ask you a question at this point. Why did Brazel think that it was a flying saucer? Well, he, uh, he, he had talked to, uh, before he went to Roswell, he went to Wade's Bar. Mm-hmm. In Corona, yeah, on Saturday night, and he took a piece of that metal with him. And uh, Brazel hadn't heard of flying saucers. He, you know, because he did no radio, no electricity there. They get a weekly or monthly newspaper, so he never heard of flying saucers. But some of the fellows at the bar said, "Well, hey Mac, maybe it's from one of those flying saucer things." You know, there there's all kinds of newspaper headlines going around about these things they call flying saucers mm-hmm. maybe that piece of metal that is acting funny you know they're they're, they're trying to, to you know cut it bend it burn it squash it and it always comes back to its original shape maybe it's from one of those flying saucer things so that's the story that that brazel took with them to roswell maybe it's you know and so wilcox he who later said it was the mistake of his life by calling calling the air base First, he said he should have called the media first because the airbase covered it up. But he said, you know, Mac, if uh, anything that comes from the sky, and it sounds like what mm-hmm. you have there, it, it came from the sky. That's the that's the uh, purview of the Air Force. So let's call the airbase, which was down uh, seven miles south of town at Roswell. And that's how the Air Force got involved. They send out Jesse Marcel. And Marcel takes Sheridan Cabot with him. They go out. They follow the rancher out. And uh, this is on July the 6th. They stay overnight and hit the debris field on the 7th. And uh, they're gathering up this stuff. And uh, uh, Cabot fills up his Jeep carry-all. And uh, he goes back to, to, to Roswell, the Roswell base, that day. Well, Marcel's still out there gathering up stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, he puts it in his 42 Buick. Uh, he fills it up. And uh, this is late in the day and on, on Sunday. I'm sorry. On, uh, let's see. Uh, he got up there Sunday. This is early morning Sunday. And he uh, heads back to town, back to Roswell. But before he gets to the, ring, gets to the base, he stops at, at home to show his son, Jesse Jr., and his wife, Vayud. Because according to Jesse Jr., uh, Marcel Sr., at that point, in his mind, it was a flying saucer. That's what his son said. His son was said he was convinced at that point that his father thought it was a flying saucer, wreckage from a flying saucer. So into the base he goes with, with the wreckage. But he wanted to show his family first, which, which he did. Well, the... Uh, they have their meeting at the base, their morning meeting, and uh, they, they're passing some of this uh, material around. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so uh, whether it was this is one of the points of contention, whether the, the first media press release was that did that come from Blanchard or did that come from higher authority? And uh, we always debate uh, whether it was a local faux pas from Blanchard by putting out the story mm-hmm. that they had captured, that's the term they used, the flying saucer. Or did that come from higher authority, like uh, from the, uh, not the president, but maybe uh, uh, General Vandenberg, who was uh, uh, acting uh, uh, chief of staff at that time. But anyway, they put out the first 
the first headline was RAAF, that's Roswell Army Airfield, captures, and I, don't, I guess that was a, some newspaper uh, editing, editing mm-hmm. uh, flying saucer near Roswell region. And that's why it became the Roswell case and not the Corona All right, stand by, Tom. We've got to take our break. Explanation, Thomas J. Carey is my special guest. We're talking about the Roswell crash, the Roswell incident, whatever you'd like to call it. Um, His website, interesting website, www.roswellinvestigator.com. And we'll be back talking to Tom on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon with yours truly, Rob McConnell, from our broadcast center and studios in Fort Erie, Niagara, Canada. Don't go away. One, Thomas J. Carey is our special guest, and uh, Thomas's website is roswellinvestigator.com. A couple of questions for you, Tom. Um, to the best of your knowledge, when, uh, when um, the Air Force, Marcel, got to the ranch, did he take any photos of the debris field? That's, uh, we don't know, uh, Rob. Um, we just don't know if he took a took a camera with him or not he may have Mm -hmm. Uh, we always have had rumors that somebody took pictures of it right it's something that we've been looking for all all these years and never never came up with uh, anybody that uh had them so the the answer is we don't know okay so isn't it isn't it out of the norm where an intelligence officer would go to a scene and not secure the scene, and then bring everyone else to the scene in order not to break the chain of custody. Well, they uh, this is uh, you know something out of the ordinary. All, all that the uh, rancher brought into town mm-hmm. were two small boxes of pieces of wreckage, and you know the question was, what is this? And there's a whole pasture full of this stuff you take marcel out there and and he told marcel take whoever you want with him now marcel and cabot were the two top uh intelligence people on the base so it's, it's not like they sent out uh, two airmen you know yeah. a sergeant or a, uh, an airman these were the two top intelligence experts that went out to see what was there all right but why didn't the sheriff go out well, the sheriff ultimately, at, it was this was on a Sunday, mm-hmm. so his his day he's off, and he was he was unhappy that he, that he had to come downstairs and interview Brazel, and he sent two two of his deputies out. Did the so, deputies take any photos? I'm sorry. Did the deputies take any photos? Again, we don't know. We don't know. It's uh, no one has ever said they took hmm. photos. Like I said, we've always. Yeah. Our ears have always been open uh, for anybody that that uh, had some information about it, and quite frankly, nobody uh, had any information about it. All right, so let me ask you another question. Marcel puts the some of the debris into his vehicle, and instead of going back to the base to maintain a proper chain of evidence custody, he decides to go home to show this material that he believed was from a UFO to his son. Now, doesn't that taint the credibility of this top intelligence officer when he breaks protocol? Uh, it would if that was the only material, uh, Rob, but there was a whole field full of it. I, so, I understand that. I understand that. But here you've got a supposedly well-trained intelligence officer who knows that you get from point A to point B 
in order to maintain the proper chain of custody of the material. Well, they already had material from uh, Cavett that brought That makes no difference. That makes no difference. Jeep Cario full of the same material. Yeah, I understand. So, I understand that. But why is the part I where read, I can't read Marcel's mind on that? I understand that. I understand that, Tom. But why is this part, you know, just paved over that Marcel did not follow proper protocol? This doesn't make him a hero. It makes him a suspect. Well, we're not making him a hero. Um, the uh, the reason that it's in my mind it's no mm-hmm. big deal is because Cabot already delivered his metal, his material, and there was a whole sheep pasture full of the same material. So whether uh, Marcel broke the chain of yeah. custody did not diminish the story. But it, what it does, it, why why doesn't it diminish the story? You've got you have a field full of evidence. But what you've got is a loose cannon of of an intelligence officer going around saying that this is UFO material, bringing it home to show his kid. You know, and then, like you said, there's this whole field full of debris that has not been secured. So why does everybody why does it why does everybody put so much faith in this Roswell case when it has more holes in it? Than a piece of cheese found in Billy Myers' fridge. Oh, that's not a hole. There's still a field of evidence out there. They did secure the the, the uh, site. Uh, they sent armed guards out there, and uh, nobody could get to the site. It was it was secured. He made a stop on his way home. I'm mm-hmm. guessing that he wanted to show his son, who was uh, I think 11 years old at the time. At least that's what he said. Yeah. But it doesn't change the fact that there's a site full of strange material out there that the Air Force uh, ultimately, very soon after they got back, uh, secured. So okay, nothing so, disturbed. All right, so how many, how many days after... That is being that, a hole. That, how, many, how many days after Brazil was there uh, to do his preliminary investigation, did, was, the, was the area secured by the military? I'm sorry, what, what was the first part of that? Okay, when after Brazil... I'm sorry, after, after Marcel went to the uh, with Brazil and saw the debris field picked up the debris with him and his his counterpart brought it back to the base how long after the material was brought to the base was the site where the debris field was actually secured by the military well i forgot to mention that uh while Marcel and Cabot were mm-hmm. out at the debris field site, right? That's that's the first main site. Uh, that's on the morning of Monday the seventh. They're they're out there at the site. The uh, second the uh, impact, what we call the impact site, was discovered where the rest of the ship had come to rest, mm-hmm. about thirty five miles uh, east southeast of the debris field. Uh, it was discovered by some archaeologists. They called the sheriff, and uh, the phone calls in those days, any time they called the sheriff, it also went into the firehouse in Roswell. Right. So uh, that's how some of the civilians got out to the impact site before the military did, because the military had just, because uh, Marcel is still out there in mm-hmm. the field. So they found out about this uh, impact site north of town before Marcel got back. So... They started securing the the uh, the two sites that day, and I don't know. I couldn't tell okay. you what time, but as soon as they could, because they had a meeting at the uh, base uh, uh, office. Uh, Cabot was there. Marcel was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of Blanchard's direct reports, and uh, that's when they decided this is a you know they put out right. the UFO, the fl- flying saucer story. And uh, they started uh, uh, deploying to the two sites uh, at that point. But why? Why did they? Why did they? How did they come to the conclusion that it was a UFO? Well, it was uh, there, at the time. Uh, Roswell was undergoing a uh, what we call a UFO flap. But the reason they came to the conclusion that it was a UFO was mm-hmm. because at the impact site there were three aliens. Two dead, one one still alive. That was a strange wreckage you can explain away, but the the uh, aliens, uh, three and a half feet tall, big heads, and they weren't human. Uh, 
they sort of, you know, they weren't human, so they that's when they concluded that it wasn't anything from Earth. Okay, so now we've got that two cra- we, we we've got two crash sites. How we much have how, a third site? We have a third site mm-hmm. that was discovered at some point between the two sites that I just told you about. Okay. When the ship exploded, apparently two of them, two of the uh, occupants, uh, beings or creatures, whatever you want to call them, when the ship exploded, two of them were blown out and came to rest. They met their demise at a small bluff about two and a half miles east of the debris field site. They were discovered by Brazel either, and we don't know for sure, either before he went into town or Mm -hmm. after afterwards. We're not exactly sure, but... uh, Well, well, wouldn't wouldn't it make sense that it was after he went into town? Because when he went into town, he never mentioned a, a body. All he did was brought in, according to you, two boxes of this... Of this material. Well, when we interviewed uh, Frank Joyce Mm -hmm. uh, in 1998, now Joyce was the uh, radio announcer that interviewed Brazel. It didn't go over the air, but he interviewed him uh, over the telephone. And Brazel told him about this site that was two and a half miles east. He Mm -hmm. said, boy, the... The smell is terrific. Uh, it made me sick. You know, who's what's going to happen? And he said, so Joyce, Joyce says, what, what are you talking about? He says, oh, the, the uh, I forget what he called them, the little little people. They, they were small and they were dead and they smelled terrible. Who's what's going to happen to them? And so that's what Frank Joyce told us. So it was so was it was it. Uh... Was it Brazel who started, who first mentioned the 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 bodies? To uh, to Frank Joyce, yes. All right. So how but, do we? But at the same time, uh-huh. uh, that's on the sixth. But on the seventh, they found the other site north of town where there were two dead and one alive. So by that time, they said this is this is one of the. This is not from us. This mm-hmm. is not from the Russians. This is not from any any other country on earth. How do we know that they actually found bodies? Well, that's what the that's what the many witnesses have told us. No, no disrespect, Tom, but you know a lot of people believe in Santa Claus too. Like, we're, well, you know, when it comes to when it comes to making a claim of extraterrestrials and crashed vehicles and so on, you know, I, I understand. I understand the strength of the witnesses that you and and Don and Kevin have talked to over the years. But here we are in the year twenty twenty one. This happened in nineteen forty seven, and still, with all the investigations that have gone on, there hasn't been any physical evidence that's been turned up. Well, if you uh, no physical evidence, but. Uh testimony is evidence in a court of law. It can be evidence. And uh, we've interviewed over 600 people. Mm-hmm. Not everybody knows the whole story. They only know their little piece. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, you're, what you do is you judge the witness. And uh, you get to a point where you can, you know, you can pretty much tell what is the truth and what isn't when, they're, when you're interviewing them, if you interview enough of them. And uh, that's what we did. So... Uh, now, were well, the were all these witnesses put? Uh, were, were these were the main witnesses ever given a polygraph test? Um, I think Jesse Jr. was, mm-hmm. uh, or at least he got, he had a, uh, and I wasn't there, but he had a regressive hypnosis type. Uh, yeah, but uh, we all we all we all know that hypnosis yeah. isn't the best. But you know, uh, when we when we interviewed somebody, mm-hmm. uh, we don't have a polygraph ourselves, uh, and you have to go to their house, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are are very uncomfortable. Uh, so, um, as far as a polygraph, I am unaware. I am unaware of that. Maybe there has been. Maybe there hasn't. I I don't know. All right, stand by, Tom. You and I have to take our break at the bottom of the hour for the news. Exonation. Thomas J. Carey is our guest. 
Uh, he's got two new books we're going to be talking about on the other side of this break. Roswell, the Chronological por uh, Pictorial, and Roswell, the Ultimate Cold Case Closed. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Fort Erie, Crystal Beach, which is part of Niagara in the province of Ontario. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV and the Exxon TV channel on SimulTV at www.simultv.com. Whatever you do, don't go away. We'll be back right after this news break. Explanation, Thomas J. Carries our guest this hour, www.roswellinvestigator.com. All right, Tom, so as I understand it, there were three crash sites? Yes. Okay, and it was Mark Brazel who first reported the, the existence of the alleged E.T. bodies, right? Yes, Matt, Matt Brazel. Okay, now... Mac, Mac Brazel. Yes. Where was the largest debris field? The uh, largest debris field or the largest crash site was mm -hmm. the first one, the debris field site on the J.B. Foster Ranch. And, th and that's where Braz Brazel was, right? Yes. Okay. So the evidence is taken. Whatever happened to the bodies, uh, the, the, the E.T. bodies? The E.T. bodies were... Uh, uh, the ones that were dead mm -hmm. were uh, flown to uh, uh, Wright-Patterson or Wright Field in Dayton, Ohio. And uh, they remained there for as near as we can tell from uh, people who were there uh, uh, until the early 1980s. And during that period, they were loaned around to various military hospitals for examination. And uh, so we have a few stories like that where... Uh, uh, doctors and officers had seen a body or two at uh, this base or that base. So we, but uh, right, right field was the destination. The live one uh, didn't go immediately to right field, and uh, the next it turns up in April of the following year at right field uh, by a witness who saw it there. So. Uh, that, that's where they went. Where they are today is, uh, is uh, anybody's guess. The last information we had was from a former uh, commander at the uh, Foreign Technology Division at uh, Wright-Patterson. When on his dying bed, he said, that we have five aliens in Utah, which means uh, Dugway would be the Dugway proving grounds. So that's, that's our last best guess. Now, are these five different aliens or the five aliens from the Roswell crash? Well, we're assuming because there were five, mm -hmm. and he just mentioned five, that it, uh, and this was uh, some years ago. I see. And uh, so we just assumed that those were the Roswell. But initially, they went to, to Wright Field for a number of years. You know, in, in today's with today's technology and uh, people breaking into data banks and, and you know, taking, uh, you know, hacking and so on. Uh, if this information is hidden in a government database somewhere, uh, 
And a country like China or or Russia wanted to really embarrass the United States of America and prove to the American people that the government has been committing a conspiracy, thereby weakening the the faith of the government. All they need to do is break into a you know, a database and get the information and put it all over the place. And another thing that I find strange is that there's no mention of the Roswell crash in any of the WikiLeaks. Uh, any, excuse me, any of the what? The Roswell crash information uh, or references to the Roswell crash or UFOs or extraterrestrials and anything that WikiLeaks has dumped. WikiLeaks? Yeah. Uh... Well, you got me there, uh, Rob. Uh, I I confess to ignorance okay. about WikiLeaks. Uh, I thought he was, uh, I thought he was mostly political. Well, wouldn't this be classified as political? I don't think so. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's esoteric, but I w- I wouldn't mm-hmm. say it's political. Okay. Uh, All right. Maybe, I, maybe that's why. I, maybe that's why I I couldn't find any reference to it because it isn't political. Uh, so we're, you know, like when you, one of the titles of your book is Roswell, the chronal, uh, I'm sorry, Roswell, the ultimate cold case closed. How did you close it? Uh, every book we've ever written, and this, uh, that was the seventh book. We've mm-hmm. co-authored seven. Every one, I think, is the last one. <laughs> and that was a few books ago. But uh, be- because so many people were dead... And I, in fact, I can't think of any of the witnesses that we interviewed that are still alive. Wow. Uh, we just did a, uh, uh, you know, a uh, encapsulated what our reminiscences about the case and where it, where mm-hmm. it was, where it is, and where it might be going. And uh, we, the case, we the case isn't closed, <laughs> and uh, we're writing a book now. That will come out in June, and they were already committed to a 2022 book, which will be the 75th, believe it or not, the 75th anniversary of the Roswell crash. We're going to have a uh, sort of like a uh, a special book come out in honor of that, and I would expect that to be the, the last book. But, uh, I, I'm sure the town of Roswell will be having a major festivity and raking in the loot and having yes. all the dingbats there. Yes, but I, w- I couldn't, you know, the only thing I can think of right now, because we, we, we in my own mind, we have mm-hmm. the case nailed. Uh, the only thing that could happen would be a piece of uh, wreckage uh, that, that would come forward somehow. All right, let me ask you this. What would happen if a piece of wreckage did come forward and it was found to be non-extraterrestrial but something from Earth? What would happen? Well, it would be a, it would be a terrestrial piece of wreckage. Uh, Which would mean the crash had nothing to do with extraterrestrials, right? How would we know that it came from the crash? Well, what, what makes us think? Now, this is something that, that, uh, that I've often wondered how do we know that life on other planets would use the same, you know, like, like a craft that we could see instead of a craft that is totally made of material that we, that we can't see? Or how do we even know that the extraterrestrials, if they're out there, are carbon-based and not based on another element? Like, we, what we're doing is we're being very... Uh, self-righteous and thinking that, you know, the we would be able to identify these, these craft or the, these extraterrestrials. We may be all wet. Well, well, uh, I don't see see myself as being self-righteous, but uh, we go. By uh, no, I, the, I meant the human race. I meant the human race here. Uh, we're going by what the former commander at Wright Patterson, uh, General Exxon, who mm-hmm. was the base commander told us and uh he had uh told us that you know because we said you know what what was the ship made of well you know what was and he said this uh, he was told by the people that were there Mm -hmm. that analyzed the wreckage that it was mostly titanium 
but with some other element that was that where the processing was different. Okay. So that's what he told us. He was the commander at uh, Wright Patterson. Uh, we knew him and interviewed him several times. So, uh, and the other thing, Rob, was that the most prevalent type of wreckage, and this is the type we would be looking for because. You know, you can explain away wreckage as, oh, that, that was our latest fighter jet uh, mm-hmm. back in 1947, you know, something like that. Sure. But uh, the most, uh, what we're looking for and what we call the our holy grail of Roswell is a piece of the so-called memory metal. This is the metal that has been described to us by a number of witnesses that it was ultralight. I mean, if you had it in your hand and wanted it up in your hand, it felt like you had nothing. But you would open your hand and it would just out fur, unfurl itself and sort of just float there. And it's very thin. You can't cut it, bend it, scratch it, burn it, do anything to it. That's what we're looking. That's what we're looking for, because uh, we, we don't have anything close. Well, something close, but not not nearly uh, as good as the original. So uh, if someone would bring a piece of memory metal forward that we don't have to send out and you never hear about it again, mm-hmm. but something you can see visually that, hey, boy, that's that's really something out of this world. So that's what we're looking for. Okay. Um, a piece of metal, you, uh, you know, a piece of metal, uh, e- even if it was like uh, one of the stiff parts of the ship, you know, some of the metal was was not like that. It was stiff. Mm-hmm. You could take a sledgehammer to it and it w- wouldn't even you know sledgehammer with bounce off that that you can explain away but this memory metal you you just you can't explain that away just how, looking at it how many witnesses actually saw this uh folding metal or what what did you call oh, it memory metal i uh we haven't added them up but there, there's a lot there's a lot and uh, uh there's a lot of witnesses that were out at the site cleaning mm-hmm. up cleaning up the sites the three sites and they always say, oh, by the way, uh, there, I saw bodies there. There were mm-hmm. bodies there. So, they, and, you know, well, what did they look like? And they give us the classic description. And uh, these, these people are all gone now. But, uh, uh, you know, you, we interview each one. We judge each one. And uh, you can tell, you can even tell during their story if they wander off into the something they've seen on television mm-hmm. uh, mostly. You, you, you sort of discount that, but, uh, uh, you know, and there's some that just out outright, uh, we're making it up and we, we can, we can tell that right away. So if you, if you interview enough people. All right. So we've got five extraterrestrials and, and if a spacecraft did crash and if a spacecraft can, you know, uh, withstand space travel why did it crash exactly uh we get that question all the time and anything that's manufactured uh has a tense you know something like a metal you know a a, a metallic item Mm -hmm. any anything like that has a as tensile strength meaning pulling it apart and uh, if you exceed the tensile strength, it'll come apart. And uh, these were manufactured with some uh, some form of elements. Uh, uh, General Exxon says titanium was one big element in it. But uh, if it ex- something happens where the uh, it exceeds the tensile strength, it'll come apart. And whether it was an internal explosion, uh, whether it was... Uh, struck by radar uh, not radar it was struck by lightning we don't know we just can only speculate but it came apart over brazel's sheep pasture the inner cabin is what we think withstood withstood the blast continued on for another 35 miles and came to rest just north of roswell and that's where the what we call the impact site where there were two dead and one still alive so to answer your question, every manufactured uh, uh, piece of uh, material has a tensile strength. But and once, uh, but once again, but once again, Tom, I've got to take my my final break here, but uh, quickly. Uh, but once again, we're basing 
the knowledge and the technology that we know of here on this planet. If these people are extraterrestrials, shouldn't they be further ahead? And should <laughs> is, isn't it possible that our law of physics do not apply to them? How, how, would, how would we know? I wouldn't know. Exactly. How would we know? How would we know anything at this point? Because, oh. you know, it's, it's, it's a great story. Interview enough people and you know something. Uh, yeah. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Welcome everyone. Uh, Thomas J. Carey is our special guest this hour. Thomas has uh, two new books out, uh, Roswell, The Chronological Pictorial, and Roswell, The Ultimate Cold Case Closed. And for more information about uh, Thomas and his work, his books, and so on, visit his website at roswellinvestigator.com. We're, we were talking about the Roswell incident, and uh, there, there are so many questions that, ha- that are unanswered with this. Um, it seems that there is a lot of there are a lot of investigators that are that are are still looking into it, like yourself, Tom, uh, you know, um, Don Schmidt, and of course Kevin Randall, and, and many others. With all the people that are looking into it, and I'm sure there are thousands, including the armchair investigators that you know surf the internet for for information that somebody might have missed. How come? We're no closer to getting that all-important and necessary piece of physical evidence to define definitely what this case is all about. Well, that's uh, that's the that's the that's the final question because mm-hmm. uh, we suspect. I, I won't say we know. We suspect there are pieces out there because. Out in that territory, uh, whenever they had a plane crash, the civilians always got there first. Sure. Because, uh, uh, and the civilians go out there and they pick up pieces of souvenirs. Mm-hmm. And we're sure that that's pretty much that's what happened in this case because the civilians got there first. Yeah. We've heard stories that so-and-so has a piece. Uh, there's a piece there. There's so-and-so has a piece. And uh, so far it hasn't materialized. Yeah. Not to use a pun, but uh, <laughs> that was uh, a good one. It, it, it's one of the big disappointments of the case. But um, uh, I'm confident that it's some someday. And you know, this sounds mm-hmm. like uh, pie in the sky, but uh, uh, along the trajectory, uh, Rob, from where the ship exploded to where the final impact site was, along that trajectory, there were pieces. It, it, no doubt falling off the ship so but that's a big desert out there and it's 75 years almost since this happened so that's unlikely that it's going to come that way and uh, we believe that one of those corona ranchers uh, one of these days is uh, is going to turn up something but uh, it's a long shot I, I agree with you but that that's the only that's the only missing piece to this case. Again, not to use another pun, but uh, sure. that's the missing piece. All, all right, but is it? Do you find it strange that Jesse Marcel himself hadn't kept a piece? 
because he did bring it home, you know, and, you know, you're showing it to his well, kid. And if he really thought it was part of UFO and there was this massive debris field and there was already stuff at the base, why didn't he keep a piece? Well, uh, we don't know that he didn't keep a piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there is a story that he did and that it, uh, that, that he kept the piece in a, of all places in the the water heater in his house in Houma, Louisiana. Uh, there was also another story, and we tried to follow up on this, that uh, he and Sherrod and Cabot had a, had a piece, and they were over Marcel's house, and the wives were talking, and Marcel and Cabot went into the kitchen. They started cooking it up to see if they could get it to do something, destroy it, melt it, whatever. And uh, somebody said, you know, you shouldn't have that piece of metal. And so they went out back where they had just poured a patio. And when they came back, they didn't have the piece. So all these years we've been thinking that maybe there's a piece under the Marcel patio still. The only problem is that the patio is no longer out back. It's, it's part of the inside of the house. And we offered to buy the house so, so that we could, you know, do a Geraldo Rivera uh, type case uh, and dig up the, the patio, but uh, uh, the, the owner wouldn't sell, and it's still possibly still there. But uh, that's that's uh, that's one story about Marcel. The other one is they, that he had a, kept a piece, took it the when he retired uh, to home of Louisiana, he had a piece, and he kept it in an old water heater, hmm. which is long gone, of course. But that that's the two stories we heard about Marcel. And the uh, his possibly keeping a piece of the wreckage. It, now it would it, you would think he would, but but that's as close as we got. We also had a story where Walter Hout, the public information, had a, had a piece at his house, and uh, it was uh, I won't tell you where he kept it because we still have plans to try to do something about that. And uh, but uh, that those are the stories uh, that come to mind. And, uh, but, but we believe that there are military personnel that, who were able to pocket a piece, and certainly the, some of the civilians uh, that got out there before the military uh, took a souvenir or two. And uh, it's a long shot, I, I, I agree. And uh, we can only hope that, that somebody comes forward and it's a piece of the memory metal and not, not some of the other stuff where you can say, oh, that, that, mm-hmm. that's, that's just a piece of metal where the memory metal, you can see that it's different. I'm going to ask you a hypothetical question here. What, in your opinion, would, have, would, would ufology be like today if Stanton Friedman had not brought this story forward? That's, uh, that's, that's a great uh, question because, uh, you know, for me, uh, Rob, uh, mm-hmm. when I read the book, uh, The Roswell Incident, all the other UFO stories just faded away just faded away yeah. this roswell story was for me the the store the, the ufo story of all time mm-hmm. and you know being on it for 30 years i mean what has what have you done you know for 30 years to be so interested in something like that but it's it's the best case as far as interest the story and uh uh there are a couple other ufo cases that that are interesting uh that uh, I'm interested in, but nothing like this. And if there hadn't been a Roswell case, uh, what case would it be? I, I don't know, Rendlesham or uh, West Hall in Africa. I'm sorry, Australia or uh, Zimbabwe in Africa. Two what, good cases. What was it that got you interested in ufology? Um, I was always, as a, as a uh, it, it was the thought of somebody living somewhere else. You know, somebody living, living not on else, the yeah. earth, but somewhere else, and they're visiting us, mm-hmm. and they don't look like they're they're hominoid, but they're not they're, they're not us. And it was the thought of somebody else out there, and that that that's the interest, and uh, the, the the fact that the Roswell case we're talking about not lights in the sky that dart around or tic tacs that go back and forth, but a, a real corporal or, or however you pronounce it, corporeal, a, a physical wreckage uh, to the case, and then bodies. The, the case has everything. It's got a cover-up. It's got death threats. It's a great story. 
Yes. But once that's, again, that's, it, what it, it, that's what blew me away when I read the Roswell Incident book. I, I agree with you. It's a great story, but it's based on a lot of a lot of. It's based stories. on testimony. It's based on testimony. Very well, so, few documents. Very few documents because the, the you know they gathered they gathered up all of the evidence and uh, uh, one of the airmen at the base, mm -hmm. uh, Patrick Saunders, was so proud that he was given the task of destroying all, all evidence, you know, documentary evidence of, of the of the incident. And uh, he told his daughter and she told us. And uh, so so you didn't hear this firsthand. No, we heard it from his daughter. Oh, OK. A lot of people get their five minutes of fame from talking about the Roswell incident or claiming to be witnesses or or claiming to have knowledge of it. This is why I, I you know, I, I hear you when you talk about, you know, witnesses and, and testimony. But there's no smoking gun. Well, if you're talking about a piece of physical evidence, you're you're correct. There's there's no physical piece of evidence that mm -hmm. we have that we can point to that we have recovered. Yeah. And uh, as I say, uh, uh, testimony has sent people to the electric chair when when they when they had electric chairs. Mm -hmm. But uh, if testimony, if it's credible, is evidence in a court of law. This, you can't I, 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 under, I, underst I understand what you're saying, Tom, and and I understand the enthusiasm of you people who are into this, into the UFO phenomenon, and people who, you know, uh, who I'm really not, I'm not into the believe. I'm not into the UFO phenomenon. I'm into, like I said, Roswell is, you know, you remember the movie The Verdict uh, with uh, uh, Paul Newman. No, I don't. I'm sorry. He was handling a case, and and his uh, sidekick said, "Take, take the money, take the money." He mm -hmm. says, "No, no, no." He says, "There'll be other cases." He says, "No, no. This is the case. This is the only case." And that's my feeling about. Uh, yeah, I understand that, but Paul Newman was portraying a lawyer, if my, you know, if I'm correct, uh, who was it had something to do with a criminal case. But we're talking about. We're well, talk it, was the, it was the it was the principle. It was the principle. That he had other cases, mm -hmm. you know, just take the money on this way. He said, no, this is the case. This is the only case that I want to work on. So that was it. So this that's is how I feel about Roswell. So what's your next step in proving or disproving it? Uh, well, it's pretty hard for us to, uh, you can't, you can't prove a negative. So, um. Uh, we've got we don't need any more witnesses. Um, this is, you know, sort of a confession here. Mm -hmm. We don't need any more witnesses. Plus, uh, we don't know that any, any are still alive. But uh, uh, it'd be nice to have a piece of physical physical wreckage uh, that we've been talking about tonight. And uh, that would that would be the uh, that would be the uh, cap the case. That would be it. If we could get a piece of uh, uh, memory metal, memory metal. And and if a piece of physical evidence is never found, what does that do to the case? I'm I'm sorry, we don't have a piece. No, I, I know, I know. But what I was saying is, what what happens if a well, piece is never found? If it's never found, yeah. Well, uh, I guess you you know you'll believe what you know you'll think what you think, and mm -hmm. I believe what I believe because I I believe right now that we have the evidence that. Uh, uh, whether it was extraterrestrial or extratemporal or uh, something like that, uh, uh, a ship crashed uh, in 1947. Wouldn't it be Wouldn't it be more fair to say that something crashed? Well, the uh, the bodies, the bodies, uh, the people, the bodies that people talk about make it make it uh, suggest they ship. It's very suggestive, right? But what about Project Mogul? Project Mogul falls apart like a cheap suit when you examine it. And uh, you know there I are mean, many there are many people who believe in Project Mogul who feel that Roswell falls apart very easily too. So once again, I think it's what you want Project to believe. Project Mogul is is nobody. Mm. We have no witness to a balloon event in Brazil's pasture at that time. We have none, mm. zero witnesses to a balloon event. 
All right, Tom, I hate to do this, but we've run out of time for tonight. And next donation, if you'd like to get more information about uh, Tom Car- uh, Thomas Carey and his his quest, his crusade on finding out or proving to the world that the crash of Roswell, of who knows what it was, really did happen, visit his website at www.roswellinvestigator.com. www.roswellinvestigator.com. But... Um, I'm going to tell you something. I, I, There are so many holes in this story, and my biggest bone of contention with this whole thing, everybody puts Jesse Marcel, you know, right up on the altar because he's the base intelligence officer. Well, a base intelligence officer should have been smarter and used a lot more intelligence when handling what was supposed to have been. And once again, we don't know what it was. But he... And others believe it was a UFO. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away.